welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. Lord, amen. First Samuel chapter 13, and beginning at verse number 16, 1 Samuel 13 and 16, the Bible says, And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people that were present with them abode in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash, and the spoilers, everybody say the spoilers, came out of the camp of the, Israel, of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned into the way that leadeth to Orpah, unto the land of Shual. And another company turned uh, the way to Beth Horon. And another company turned to the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. Amen. Verse 17 says, And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. The spoilers. I think uh, another word would be a saboteur. Um, Bandits. Came out in three companies against Saul and Jonathan. It was the Philistines had three companies of spoilers. I want to talk tonight, preach or teach, however this comes out, but I want to talk on this thought on the three Philistine spoilers, the three Philistine spoilers. In our walk with God, there is always a spoiler or sabotage after our walk with God. And and more directly to our prayer life, amen. And so I, I wanna talk about that tonight and pray the Lord will open our understanding. Would you pray with me, Lord? We thank you for your word. We thank you for the direction, the instruction. Lord, I pray that you would open our understanding. I pray that you'd give us insight and wisdom. Lord, I pray tonight that you would would lay open the strategy of the enemy and tonight be able to discern the tactics of the one that that is attempting to take down our soul and rob us of our time with you and our communication with you. I pray that we would be strengthened and uplifted. And I pray tonight, Lord, that we would leave here with a renewed passion and commitment and dedication, Lord, to walk with you in that sacred place of fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 11 says that all these things happen unto them or in samples, or examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And those are the words uh, of Paul as he is explaining the huge price that doubt and unbelief took on the children of Israel. He noted that there was some that died in the wilderness and never made it to the promised land simply because of their unbelief. And that's why he wrote that particular portion in his letter. He said that all of the things of the Old Testament were preserved for us as an example for where we are today. 
And then he exhorts the New Testament church to understand that all of the accounts and encounters in the Old Testament were written specifically for our instruction. He infers that the wandering of Israel through the wilderness can be a very profound picture to the modern day church that we are in today. And it can mirror and give us an example of what the life of a child of God looks like. And so we have to use these Old Testament stories to help us in our spiritual battle. As a matter of fact, it'll give us, not only will it give us insight, but it'll give us strategies and how we can overcome the enemy of our soul. Amen. William Gurnell said in his book, he said, quote, so many go into the field against Satan, and so few come out conquerors. Because all have a desire to be happy, but few have courage and resolution to grapple with difficulties that meet them on the way to happiness. In other words, everybody wants to go on the battlefield to find happiness, but most are not willing to endure the battle to get the victory that it's going to take. And so we find this story in that same vein of thought. God in his great grace He passes unto us a book that has been preserved where he has spoken so that we can see how we are supposed to go in this book. God preserved, canonized this word that we have, 66 books. I was thinking about something the other day, and I jotted it down uh, in, in my notes on my iPad, and I started thinking about this because, as you know, I do. I, I like to do a lot of research and I like to stay current on, on uh, events that are across science and archaeology. And any, any, any historian will tell you, and, and most uh, scientists and geologists and archaeologists will tell you that they use the Bible as a timeline of history. They still refer to the Bible as a very general timeline to the history of mankind. Amen. Up until... Uh, It was no longer socially acceptable or politically correct. That's why we had B.C. and A.D. It was before Christ, and A.D. was year of our Lord. Amen. And then they changed it to B.C.E., before the common error. Amen. And uh, I I like to say, if you want to call it B.C.E., that's fine. I've got an acronym for that, before Christ's entrance. Amen. And so... And so before it was, and as a matter of fact, um, you will find out that that scientists will agree with about 99% of the Bible's accuracy. The two places they don't agree with is the first three chapters of Genesis and then the last book in your Bible. 99% of the Bible in between they'll hold to is factual and accurate but they don't want to believe the beginning and they don't want to believe the end. They want to say, yeah, the Bible is right in all of these areas, but we came from monkeys. The Bible got it right in all its archaeology, its understanding of the circumference of the earth. Amen. The Bible got it right in all of these areas, but the Bible just happened to miss it when it came to creation uh, because, you know, a cosmic bolt of lightning struck primordial moves and ooze and then cells multiplied and, and, and over billions of years we became apes and over hundreds of thousands and millions of years those apes and monkeys became, uh, became 
us who we are today. And, and it takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe the first three chapters of Genesis. And I'll tell you why. They say there's no evidence that God created man. Well, let me just flip it back to you. You have no evidence. God didn't. You don't have ev if evolution, I don't got time to get on this, but evolution was so real, then how come we never, we don't see anybody in the in-between being a monkey and being a human? If that was real, we should be able to observe that there is still species of the apes that are in, with all of a sudden, several hundred thousand years ago, uh, the monkey said, we're done. <laughs> no, God's in control of this. And so the parts they disagree with is the beginning. And the end. That's okay. Jesus said, I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. God preserved this word. Amen. He started it. He ends it. And he preserved it for us. David said in Psalms 119 and 11, he said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And so God gave us this word. I, I need to get you to... Uh, uh, Get that in your mind and hold on to that tonight, that God preserved this word for each and every one of us. Now, the background surrounding the text is the first three years of Saul's reign as a new king of Israel. The battle he's about to go into uh, will be the first battle that will be led by a king for the nation of Israel. It'll be the first time an army for Israel fights in this new Govern, this new government structure. And the first battle that they're going to go into is the battle against their arch enemy and their arch nemesis, the Philistines. Amen. Saul had already put together an, armor, an army of 3,000 soldiers to help him defend the nation of Israel. Now, just hold on tonight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got to lay this foundation uh, that brings us up to our text. And so Saul put together a 3,000-man army. This was the first time an army would be led into battle under the direction of a king. And he puts together a 3,000-man army. There were 2,000 that were under his command and, and Michmash. And then there was 1,000 who were under the command of his son, Jonathan, at, at Gibeah. And the Philistines were a formidable enemy for Saul and his men, as you'll see it play out through all of 1 and 2 Samuel. The, the, the Philistines hated the people of God. They hated the Jewish people. But as for 1 Samuel 13, it's not difficult to see that the Philistines were breathing down the neck of God's people with fear and intimidation. The clues uh, to that end are found in the 13th chapter. Amen. The enemy is breathing down their neck. He's using every fear tactic tactic and invitation, uh, intimidation possible, and he is trying to get them to back down. He is, the, the Philistines are trying to get God's people to just surrender and give up in fear. Sounds a whole lot like the generation and the age that we find ourselves living in today. The enemy is using intimidation tactics. They're using fear tactics. Amen. Matter of fact, we live with a greater level of fear and worry and stress. I talked a little bit about that on Sunday. By the way, I hope you've had a good week so far this week saying, I'm not going to worry about those things. Amen. 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 One of my favorite things they say in Haiti and they say in the Congo is it doesn't matter if the car catches on fire in the middle of traffic. They'll jump out and go, not the problem. That's one of their favorite things. Not the problem. It doesn't matter what bag goes. Electricity goes out in the middle of service. And they'll go, not the problem. Not the problem. Don't worry. Be happy. That's what they'll say. Not the problem. Amen. 
Hakuna Matata. <laughs> and so you need to get a little bit of Hakuna Matata in you. You need, you need to understand that that's the enemy's job by nature of who he is in relation to you. He's going to try to scare you. He's going to try to stress you. He's going to try to intimidate you. He's going to breathe down your neck. He's going to get you to keep checking your bank account 10 times a day. He's going to get you to think your car is not going to make it to the next oil change before it breaks down. He's going to try to stress you out that you won't have a job after the beginning of the year. He's going to try and stress you out that the best days that you have are behind you. But you've got to be able to stand ramrod straight on the battlefield in the face of the enemy and say, my God is still in control. Amen. And so in chapter 13, Israel is in fear and they're intimidated. They're about to go into their first battle. Nobody wants to lose their first game. Amen. Nobody wants to lose the first game in sports. You definitely don't want to lose the first battle as a nation under a new king. Chapter 13 begins to show us how afraid that Israel was. Amen. Chapter 13 in verse 4 says, Israel was hid in abomination with the Philistines, meaning that the Philistines were not pleased that they now had a king and had already defeated the Ammonites in battle. So this is their first battle against the Philistines, against the, the strongest army in that region at the time. And, and the Philistines were already mad that now they're about to get in their first full pitch battle head on against their arch nemesis and the Philistines. Amen. They were upset about it. Verse 6 says that the people were destroyed. It literally means that they were squeezed and pressed together in great difficulty. Amen. They were distressed. Have you ever seen the documentaries of how that the dolphins fish and how that they get underneath and they blow bubbles and they cause that, that school of fish to press and press and press and press together until they can just open their mouths and, and, and this the orcas will do the same thing and then they'll press the school of fish together and then all they got to do is open their mouth and, and contain because when they're so pressed together so tight they can't move and they're stressed the bible said this is the word picture of how the nation of israel was when the philistines came against them and they were so pressed together and they were so stressed out and and they were they were pressed with great difficulty it also said that the people had fled to the limestone caves those who cannot make it to the caves the bible said hidden thickets and rocks and in high places in the clefts and in the fissures of rocks some managed to find high places which were secret holding places like stone vaults and lastly if they had no other options they hid in pits where old wa water reservoirs were that were fed by the rain and so in this season there was no rain and so they went into these dry pits and they hid from the let me tell you something you better keep your well filled with the Holy Ghost in your life amen God didn't create you to hide from the enemy God didn't create you to be afraid of the enemy Amen. God created you to be victorious. Amen. And so that's where some of the Israelites hid. Verse 7 says some of the people actually fled to Gad and Gilead, which would be northeast of Jerusalem across the Jordan River uh, to the east that was above the Dead Sea. Israel was literally set back on their heels because of fear. Our hope for victory can get choked out. Listen to me. When we start looking at the size and the power and the advancement of the enemy that's in our life, victory depends more on 
on our hope and our faith and our trust in God than the strength and even the weakness of our enemy. Amen. Our victory does not depend upon our ability. It depends on his ability. Amen. I, I feel like I'm almost continuing uh, uh, Sunday's message when I'm telling you today you've got to quit fearing and being afraid of everything that has come against you and the people of God. Amen. The Bible says fear will cause you to shift blame like Adam tried to shift blame. Fear will make you lie like Abraham lied about Sarah. Fear will make you run to Laban just like Jacob did. Fear will make you build a golden calf like Aaron did because he feared the people. Fear will cause you to lose your promised land like the ten faithless spies. Fears will, fear will cause you to back down from Goliath and send you shaking into a trench somewhere. Fear will have you hiding like a coward behind the wine press like the trembling Gideon before the angel showed up. Fear will make you run from Absalom like David did. Fear will cause you to sink upon the stormy seas like Simon Peter did. Somewhere we have got to learn, live, and believe that the just walk by faith and not by sight. We don't look at what's around us and learn to walk. We walk with who is in us and who is with us and we know that we are more than conquerors through him. Oh, somebody go ahead and give him praise tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. The Philistines were feared by the people of Israel because of their massive numbers. They, they, they were a professional army. They didn't lose. They were, they were a, a, a large host. Amen. Not only was Israel fearful of them, but all of the surrounding nations and all of the surrounding people were fearful of them. Their claim to fame and notoriety was their incredible uh, technological warfare, advancement in technological warfare. They did something that nobody else in the region had done. They had wooden chariots that they used in battle I want you that if we went to war uh, I don't care who if we went to war with China or Russia or Canada wouldn't last long they're so friendly I'd say just come on in eh <laughs> well my good friends is Canadian we're always joking to each other about who would win between Canada and America and I told him, I said, you remember back in the early 1900s when Canada and America got in a border skirmish and a border war? He said, no. I said, yeah. Canadian soldiers were lobbing grenades over on the American side. Our soldiers picked them up, pulled the pin, and threw them back. I don't know why, but on that note, I found out something. Today. Maybe it's good for somebody. Somebody needs to laugh. Amen. Found out today, was a little disappointed that, uh, to find out that Chuck Norris used stunt doubles. It's very disappointing. But then I found out it was only in the crying parts. <laughs> Elbow your neighbor and say, smile a little bit. It's healthy. Amen. <laughs> there was a technological advance. Could you imagine if we went to war with the nation and they showed up on the battlefield with wooden chariots? We would laugh at them. Our tanks would run them over. Our Apache helicopters would scorch the earth where they stood. That's not to speak of our B-52 bombers and our stealth bombers that would, that would totally obliterate one bomb 
would obliterate the size of five football fields square and they wouldn't even know where it came from. That's the equivalent of the technological advance that the Philistine army had. Nobody else had the ability that they had for warfare. They were skilled in their warfare. Amen. They had, they would, they, they, they would do something. They were the first in the ancient world to do it. They, would, they had managed to discover the power of using wood and iron together to strengthen these ancient vehicles. And then the wheels, amen, showing their sadistic nature in battle. Their wheels, amen, had attachments that would, that would hold swords so that when they drove through an enemy army, they became primitive, violent meat cutters as they cut swaths through the infantry in the field, mowing them down and having them uh, being literally ripped asunder that was the incredible technological advance that they had so when the philistine army deployed at michmash amen many israeli soldiers became deserters of sorts and fled the battlefield and they themselves ran into the caves and jumped into the pits and hid in the thickets now when you trace back history most scholars believe this is important that the philistines came from the phonies they were idolatrous and spent much of their time worshiping the, the, uh, uh, the pagan gods of Dagon and Asheroth. Amen. Perhaps the vilest of all Phoenicians would come, amen, by one of Israel's queens. Her name was Jezebel of the Zidons. And she was attached to the Phoenicians and she corrupted Israel with Baal worship. If you look in the Bible, you understand that what we are fighting today is not a new spirit, it's an ancient spirit. I preached this some time back, at least I, I think I did. I may have preached it in my sleep, amen. I've, I've actually done that before. I have preached messages in my sleep and woke up and wrote them down. It's the craziest thing. I learned that I have to, Brother Chase, write them down as soon as I wake up because five minutes later before the first drip of coffee hits my tongue, I have forgotten everything. Then I write them down. Sometimes I reread them the next going thing. Well, that's the dumbest thing ever. Put to paper. But in my dream, people were really being blessed. Amen. We're fighting ancient spirits. We are fighting, we are fighting the spirit of Baal worship today. Amen. The the Baal worship. Bell worship forced that in their deepest devotion would force their children to the boys to be girls and the girls to be boys and to be sacrificed. We're, we're, we're fighting that today. If you look at in the Bible and you do a search on the word Philistines, you can see how they operated to be the most destructive enemy force that they could be. Amen. The Philistines, and I'll give you uh, about seven notations of it in scripture. The Philistines, one, envied the blessings of God on Abraham in Genesis 26. The Philistines stopped up their wells in Genesis 26. The Philistines offered their idolatrous gods to Israel in Judges 10. The Philistines shaved Samson's hair, burned out his eyes, and put him grinding corn like an animal in Judges 16. The Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant from the people of Israel in 1 Samuel 4. The Philistines beheaded the body of Saul stripped him of his armor and raiment and took it to the house of their idols in 1 Samuel 31. And then the Philistines are listed in multiple places as being in battle against the Israelites, either themselves or being a join in a league or a confederacy against the people of God. They did everything that they could do 
to unsettle the people of God. They took it upon themselves that no matter how prosperous they were, no matter how great things were going in the land of Philistia, they wanted to mess with the people of God. Let me tell you something. The devil is not happy when you're happy. The devil is not going into and, and calling a truce because you're getting blessed of the Lord. The more you're blessed, the more he wants to be blessed. You would look at the condition of this world and think, boy, the devil's got enough people sinning. I mean, why would he want to mess with me? Because he has an insatiable appetite to bring down God's people. Amen. The word that the writer uses under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost captures the picture in even greater detail for us here tonight. The Hebrew word for spoilers is the ancient Hebrew word that is shakaf, and it means to ruin, to corrupt, or to decay. In the moral sense, it literally means to pervert and to corrupt. Amen. When you look at how that word is used in several of these Old Testament verses, you will find it used over 146 times that the enemy wants to, the enemy wants to spoil you. He wants to decrupt, he wants to corrupt you. He wants to decay you. Amen. He wants to ruin you. You've got to make up in your mind right now that you do have an enemy, but you have a God that has given you power to overcome that enemy. Amen. 146 times in scripture, you are told that word corrupt is being used, and I don't got time to, to auto... Uh, to, uh, speak every word of these scriptures. Just know if you need verification for all these scriptures, I can text. Sometimes I think people think that we're making up numbers. We got them. If you want tonight, I can read all 146 scriptures, but I'm just going to give you the highlight points. And I don't know that our young men back there, their fingers would start smoking trying to keep up with all these scriptures. Amen. But the word shakath, amen, that means to spoil is used 146 times in, in different words. The word battered one time, the word corrupt 11 times, the word Corrupted 11 times, corruptors two times, corrupting one time, corruptly one time, destroy 68 times, destroy 21 times, destroyer three times, destroyers one time, destroy us once, destroy if twice, destroying five times, destruction one time, down one time, loose one time, mar uh, four times, marred three times, off one time, perish one time, spilled one time, spoilers twice, thing once, wasted once, and waster once, and other other translations would define the word spoiler and even a, a, a more clear way for us. The NIV says that the word spoiler translates it as raiding parties. The American translation translated translates it as raiders in detachment. The Jerusalem Bible calls them the raiding contingent. In other words, they have one mission in their mind. They want to spoil you. They want to corrupt you. They want to ruin you and they want to decay you. And you've got to make up in your mind that no matter how they come at me, if it's to mar me, to destroy me, to offend me, to hurt me, to wound me, I have got to stand on the battlefield against the enemy and say greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Can you say amen? These three spoilers left the camp, amen, in three detachments. And, these, and, and they left in three detachments and they, and they went into three. We don't need the scriptures, gentlemen. Amen. Uh, they went into three different directions. They, they, they went from three different companies. They were spoiled. Uh, these, these spoilers, these saboteurs were going in three different directions, amen, uh, to go against the people of God. Now, this was a common military strategy that was used back in that day, but that was, that was mastered by the 
Philistine army because it created greater options of mobility to the attackers. It created a tremendous advantage against the people they were fighting against. But the direction that the spoilers took really speaks to the murderous motivations that rested in their hearts. Their efforts were strategic in trying to destroy Israel. Amen. I want to tell you just as Israel had three spoilers that were coming to get them, just as the Philistine army had three spoilers. I want you to listen and listen clear. My whole foundation was coming to this point to begin right here, that you have three spoilers that are sent out to destroy you. And those spoilers are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And when we are unprepared, the spoiler will come in. When we are confused about direction, when we are fighting against one another, then the spoiler will come in. When we are in places of prosperity and blessing, the spoiler will come in. When we get in a position of willful pride and arrogance and even stand in willful ignorance, the spoiler will come in. You better know that the world, your flesh, and the devil have been loosed from the camp of the enemy, and they are going to try to get you at every front. That's why you've got to be sober and be vigilant. That's why you got to stay at the ready. Amen. Amen. The first place they went, and, and I'm, I'm going to try to hurry. I, I had to establish that. But the first place that they went uh, was toward uh, Orpha and in the val in the vicinity of Shual. Now Orpha was located in the tribe of Benjamin. Everybody say Benjamin. Benjamin. Now, if you'll remember, Rachel died giving birth to who? Benjamin. But Rachel did not name Benjamin Benjamin. Genesis 35 and 18 says, and it came to pass, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benani. She called him Benani, but his father called him Benjamin. Now listen, the Old Testament writers didn't just throw that in there because they were trying to make the story cool. There's a point to it. When this was recorded, it was because that while she was giving birth to Benjamin, she died in the process of giving birth to this boy. Her last gasping words out of her mouth was Benanoah, and that meant his name was to be called Sorrow. But as soon as his wife lost consciousness and died, his father lifted up his voice and called him Benjamin. The word Benjamin, the name Benjamin means son of my right hand. He was saying, in other words, I know somebody died in the process of you getting here. I know you had a struggle just getting here and you were identified as sorrow but I'm not going to let you be called sorrow. I'm going to be, I'm going to call you the son of my right hand. The right hand signifies in scripture the place of strength and the place of power. I've come to tell some, I know it's a Wednesday night, but I feel like preaching a little bit. Amen. That yes, that there is power in your sorrow. If you will let God work it out, there will be power in your sorrow. 
You didn't go through that for nothing. You haven't suffered for nothing. You haven't walked through the valley for nothing. You didn't go through lack and sickness and pain and depression and abandonment and abuse for nothing. It wasn't for nothing, but sorrow. Amen. It's going to birth the power of God's spirit in you. That sorrow in your life, God's going to turn it around. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Some of you have been saying, why am I going through this? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I feeling so depressed? Amen. Maybe I need to go see a shrink. Maybe I need this or I need that. Amen. You're thinking, why is all of this happening? But I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost tonight, there is a purpose in your pain. There is a reasoning in your struggle. There is a point to what you're going through. Amen. Because out of sorrow becomes a place of power. Wait till God turns your test into a testimony. Amen. Wait till God flips that mess into a message. Wait till God just turns it around. Amen. Even the one that brought life may call you sorrow, but God says you'll be the son of my right hand. We only associate weeping and sorrow with tragedy. But weeping and sorrow brings triumph. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. We have lost, and, and listen, I try not to be that guy. I'm, I'm, I know I'm, only, I'm young. I'm in my early 40s. I know sometimes I sound like I'm 80, but I'm not. But we are losing and have lost in the majority of our churches. Intercessory prayer. We have learned to shout with the best of them. Not against shouting. We have learned to dance with the best of them. Not against dancing. We may do it tonight. We may do it Sunday. I don't know. Amen. I, I can remember, and I'm going to try not to go too much and reminisce here, but I can remember when everything we did, we struggled just to make it decent. I remember we couldn't afford screens. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We couldn't afford it. We didn't have the technology. We didn't have the money like these nice churches have. And so we got overhead projectors. And there's nothing wrong with them. I, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying God's brought us a long ways. And, and I re remember the overhead projectors. Remember them up there with those clear deals and had the songs on them? Amen. And, and you remember when they get to feeling the Holy Ghost and they'd put it on backwards or upside down and they'd be over there, ooh, hallelujah. And everybody's ringing, you know, what a mighty dog we serve. What are we singing up here? And, and look how far God has brought us. Amen. Even, even in, and I thank God he has blessed us. And, and this is in no way. And I, and I think sometimes because I talk about it that people may think that there's, there's you know, something under the surface. And it's not. But, but, and I talk about it a lot. But I'm going to tell you, God has blessed us with some of the best music and the best singing that there is. We're not embarrassed of our music and our singing. It's phenomenal. You can tell that they not only practice, but that they pray. There's an anointing, amen, that goes up with their worship when they lead us in worship. But I can remember when we didn't have that kind of music. 
Maybe some of y'all have always had that. We didn't. I can remember we didn't have electric keyboards. We had upright pianos with a microphone stuck in the back of them. And if they didn't play some right, it always seemed like the higher notes was always the loudest. And typically, if you went to any church, and believe me, growing up, I went to a lot of churches, typically they could only play in B flat or C. You didn't get an option, but, you know, we're going to sing in, in uh, F. And then if you'll take it up, then we're going to go to uh, G, maybe jump over to A flat a little bit. You know, we didn't have that. Uh, music practice wasn't practice. It was music figured out. <laughs> if you even did that. Somebody got up with a hymn on, and the musicians didn't even know what they were going to sing. Let's say, open your Bible, Heavenly Highway Hymns, page 143. We're going to sing when we all get to heaven. And, and they do the arpeggio. When we all get to heaven, what a day. And everybody, we just rejoice and we'd shout, amen. And the guitar was banging out a tune over here. And, and the organ sounded like a dying coyote in a trash compactor. And everybody's trying to figure it out. And the guitars are trying to capo the right chord. And, 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 and we didn't have drums. They preached against drums. That was worldly rock and roll music. Couldn't have drums. You went to a church that had drums, you'd think they were, they were backsliding. I thank God for drums. I love drums. Amen. And uh, I, I remember getting up and them preaching against drums in, in some of them meetings. But God has blessed us. God has blessed us. And they go from when we all get to heaven, and then they would sing for the next 45 minutes without any, without any coordinating. They would not stop singing for 45 minutes. They'd just go from one song to the next, one song to the next, one song to the next, one song to the next. One to the next one. And Brother Lucas, they didn't, they didn't have one, four, three, two. You know, they, they weren't. You know, I see these guys over here, and they look like Johnny Bench down there giving each other signs. They didn't have any of that stuff. Amen. You had one, two, three, course, repeat. End. And if sometimes the musicians were feeling the Holy Ghost so much, they played with their eyes closed, and the song leader had to go there and bang on top of the piano to get their attention and let them know. What I'm trying to say is God has blessed us. We have come a long way. We have learned not to be embarrassed of our music. We, amen. Not that we were embarrassed within the building. Amen. But outside of the building, the Baptists didn't accept us. The Methodists didn't accept our style of worship. Amen. The, the AGs didn't accept our style of worship. The Nazarene didn't accept our style. Now they all have a flavor of our worship. Now they all love to clap. And they all love to sing. And they all love to worship. It's become accepted. Amen. But I am afraid in the midst of God's blessing and how he has promoted his church, taking us from the backside of the uh, of the desert, from the wrong side of the track and moving us forward. Now we, we have church buildings that we're not ashamed of. Amen. God has blessed us but in the midst of this transition of God taking his church from the back to the front I feel like in a lot of our churches and in this generation somewhere we have left the intercessor somewhere between where we went and where we are and I am telling you all feel the Holy Ghost we are never going to be what God has called us to be until the intercessor takes their rightful place back in the kingdom of God where we don't just know how to sing and 
shouting dance and have great media and have great climate control and nice chairs but when somebody learns to weep between the porch and the altar we need a resurrection of the weepers and the intercessors in the church Amen. I, I, believe me. Amen. If you think this message is strange tonight, you should have heard me telling God the last four days how strange I thought this message was for a midweek. The Philistine spoilers of our generation want to come in and shut down our ability to weep and cry out and intercede in the presence of God. Intercessory prayer has fallen on hard times. And any of you that have lived for God longer than 20 or 30 or 40 years, matter of fact, the longer you live for God, the more apparent and real what I'm telling you is. We have lost the ability to be able to tap into the flow of the Holy Ghost and weep and pray and cry and intercede before the Lord. Amen. I feel like God is standing at the edge and he is saying, where are the weepers? Where are those that will weep and that will intercede? seed. Where are those that will cry out on behalf of a lost and a dying city and a lost and a dying world? I feel the Holy Ghost right now. The Bible said they that sow in tears shall reap in gladness. Amen. It didn't say those that shout the victory, those that dance and run the aisles the fast. And I don't want to minimize that. But the Bible said they that sow in tears shall reap in gladness. Amen. The Bible lets us know that somebody has to weep between the porch and the altar. The word of God declares that when Zion travails, she will bring forth her children. And we cannot program our way into revival. We cannot schedule our way into a demonstration of the Holy Ghost. We cannot manipulate our way into a harvest of souls into the kingdom. There's only one way it comes. And that's when the people of God get a burden in themselves and say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to weep on behalf of my family. And I'm going to weep for my city. And I'm going to weep for my nation. Let me ask you, when is the last time you cried over this city? A little while back, just a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, however long ago it was, I was in Woodland, I was in the office, and I was in the office praying that day, and it was one of those times where God's calling you in intercessory prayer and agonizing and weeping before the Lord, and I don't know how long I had been on the floor and, and had been praying, but I heard a, a, a cautious knock at the door, and it was somebody from the, the AG church there. And they knocked on the door and they started asking, are you okay? Is everything all right? They thought I was dying in there. I, I had no idea anybody was going to be in the building. Amen. But something has got to click in us. Amen. That we got to get on our faces and weep and pray and intercede in the presence. Listen to me. Great revival moments have always hinged on the saints' ability. Amen. And the ability of churches that will give themselves to intercessory prayer. Great revival has always hinged on the people of God when they got on their faces and sought the Lord. Amen. The great revival that has come to this world every time 
revival followed a great revival of weeping and prayer and calling out on the name of the Lord. Amen. Sister Freddie Tamil in her book, or Sister Freddie Trammell in her book, I encourage you to get it called uh, 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 The Prayer Journey, had this to say about intercessory prayer, and I want to quote her. She said, intercessory prayer is filling the gap between someone or a situation and God. It is, in my thinking, she said, grasping one hand of the person, spirit, that needs God and stretching wide with your other hand to the hand of God and then with travail and agonizing prayer, you pull, 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 pull until those two hands make a connection. And when the hand of God touches the situation that you are praying for, she said, the answer will be there. Anything that is touched by the hand of God will and must be changed. And that's what intercessory prayer does. No wonder the devil has moved it out of our movement. No wonder hell has pushed it from, from being the heartbeat of the church to just being something that only the old folks do when they're at home by themselves. Amen. There is a power that comes when you get a hold of somebody in prayer and you call out their name and you weep and you pray and you travail and you intercede and you got them by one hand and you reach up to God with the other hand. It may not come in one setting. It may not come the first time you pray. It may not come after six months of prayer. It may not happen after 10 years of prayer. It may not happen until after 20 years of prayer. But the longer you pray and the more you call on God, God, the stronger you are pulling those two hands together. I know it may seem hopeless. I prayed for the salvation of my mother over 20 years. I prayed for the salvation of my father over 20 years. My dad's been serving God for almost a year now. It took a lot of crying. It took a lot of praying. It took a lot of weeping. It took a lot of interceding and agonizing. But I grabbed a hold of him in the spirit. I grabbed a hold. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You need to grab back the hold of that person you've been praying for. You need to grab back a hold of that revival that we're seeking and grab the hand of God and pray and pray and weep and pray in the name of Jesus until it happens. Oh, somebody just lift your hands to the Lord where you are right now. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Oh, in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Anything that is touched by the hand of God's going to God's going to change it. Do you believe that? Intercessory prayer is never accompanied by serene, beautiful settings. Sometimes fasting's involved in intercessory prayer. 
Amen. Sometimes it's groanings which cannot be uttered. They escape the lips of the intercessor. The Bible likened intercessory prayer to a woman that is in labor. It compared that with the person that is in intercessory prayer. Man, it's the closest you'll ever get to having a baby. Amen. When you get an intercessory prayer and you begin to weep and you begin to moan and you begin to cry, listen, amen, you can throw all the baby showers you want. You can pack your house with all the baby clothes and expectation, but until there is a delivery, there is no baby. Until there, and listen, there are no spiritual C-sections. There are no spiritual cesareans. There are no sanctified epidurals. Amen. Revival comes the same way. I don't know why that God's got me preaching such an old-fashioned message on prayer. Amen. There is no shortcoming. There is no numbing it down and taking it away. Revival comes today the same way it came in the upper room with 10 days of prayer and fasting and seeking the face of God. Amen. Revival comes, amen, through the weeping and the intercessing and the agonizing on behalf of the lost. I feel God moving in this place right now. God is trying to awaken within his church to say, I have blessed you with the best. I give you the best preachers. I give you the best building and the best technology and the best music. Amen. We've got to grab a hold of the horns of the altar again. And somebody's got to weep between the porch and the altar. Zion will give children when she travails. Amen. I believe that the revival God's promised us that this building definitely cannot contain it. I don't know where that next building is, but I know this, that wherever it is and whatever it is, I believe we can seek the face of God. And I believe we can have a revival in this city and a harvest in this city that I believe the city will give us a building. I believe a business will give us a building. You say, Pastor, that's really bold. Amen. I serve a bold God. I believe there's a company. I believe there's a land developer. There is a real estate developer that can just give us that building. You want to know why I believe that? Because I believe God's going to save their family. God's going to pull their kids off of fentanyl and drugs. God's going to pull them out of some illicit lifestyle and save them. And they're going to realize the only hope that we have is the church of God. Hey man, I'm, I'm not going to get done with this tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost here though. I don't got time to preach about every specific spoiler, but I'm telling you the enemy wants to spoil intercessory prayer in your life. The enemy wants you to be content with just praying your five minutes. We're just waking up with a thank you Jesus. Amen. And giving him a little prayer here and there. Amen. She also said in her book, uh, she wrote in her book uh, 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 Sister uh, what did I say her name was? Uh, my, my pages are jumping all over the place. Amen. Sister Trammell in her book The Prayer Journey, she also included a prayer that Prophet T.W. Barnes would pray in various ways over his ministry. Amen. I was privileged to listen. I was privileged to be in the echoes of the intercessory prayer of Prophet T.W. Barnes in Minden, Louisiana. I was honored, amen, to be in the sanctuary and pray with him, in his office and pray with him. And when she writes about the power of his prayer, it's absolutely accurate. And he prayed a prayer over the years in various ways, but, but in summation, it went something like this. He would say, in the name of Jesus, I cut off Satan's line of communication to all those that we are praying for. In Jesus' name, I cut it off, Lord. We plead the blood for them. And now, Holy Ghost, talk 
to them. Talk to them, Jesus, in the morning. Talk to them in the noonday. Talk to them at night. Talk to them on their bed at night. Make them dream about eternity. Make them dream about the rapture. Make them dream about hell. Talk to them, Lord. Talk to them, God. Talk to them until they're shaken. Talk to them until they're served, saved. Talk to them until they're turned around. Amen. I'm telling you, we need to get that kind of a boldness in our prayer. Amen. We need to quit praying. God, just bless the backslider. God, just know we don't want anything bad, but we want them to have dreams. We want things to turn around. God, if it takes a car wreck to wake them up, do what you got to do. If it takes a diagnosis to turn them back to you, do what you got to do. But God, speak to them. God, talk to them. God, move on them. Somebody's got to grab their hand and the hand of God and pray, pray, pray until the two come together. Amen. I, I, I told you, you know this, I, I, I grew up in this and there's a lot of things I see that's changing. Amen. A lot of them are good and they're progressive and they're necessary and I'm not, I, and, and I'm not against it, but there are some things, amen, that I worry about. There's some things I worry about. Amen. And I'm not trying to be an old fogey or a fuddy-duddy, but there are some things that I worry about and God is still in control and his church is still the church. I believe all of that. Amen. But in all of these changes, some that are, some that just happen, amen, with just the movie of time. There are some things that disconcert me. Amen. There are some things that shake me a little bit that, that I grew up in this and I remember them being central to the DNA of who we are as apostolics and Pentecostals. Amen. I can remember prayer meetings that didn't just go 30 minutes or an hour. I remember them starting and I can remember being a kid laying under the pew falling asleep at 10 o'clock and them waking me up at 1230 and we had to go home and get up the next morning for school. I can Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. And they didn't get in there and, 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 and I, we have great prayer and I think focused prayer is important and we need to do that. Amen. But they, they, we didn't do any of that back then. It was weeping and it was praying and it was agonizing before the Lord and it wasn't just a few that had a gift of intercessory. I don't find the gift of intercessory prayer in the Bible. You want to know why there's no gift of intercessory prayer? Because it was intended for every one of us and I can remember everybody in that prayer meeting weeping and interceding. Young people, teenagers weeping and interceding. I can remember adults weeping and interceding, the old people weeping and interceding, men weeping and interceding, ladies weeping and interceding before the Lord. I can remember them calling out the names of people that were backslid and lost in their family as they would agonize and they would weep before the Lord and they would pray, God, stir them up. God, shake them up. God, wake them up. God, turn them around. Amen. It, it, it may have been uncomfortable, but I can remember sometimes some of them old folks calling our names in prayer because they knew we were cold in our spirit and backslid in our heart and there we were in the prayer room as teenagers and you'd hear one of those old saints of Zion, Sister Symphony and they would pray, God touch Brother Timothy you know his soul is getting cold touch him right now Lord don't let him go the way of the devil don't let him go the way of hell and they'd call my name, I want to tell you that will shake you to your core when you thought you were getting away from it and nobody knew it but God laid you on some lady's heart or some man's heart to pray. That's what we need in first church campuses. We've got the best of everything but God says I want to resurrect the ministry of tears. I want to restore back to my church the power of intercessory prayer. God's got a birth that's an intercessory prayer. It's not coming through a program. It's not coming through a million dollar check. It's not coming with the right evangelist. 
coming through weeping. It's coming through fasting. It's coming through prayer. And if you have a hard time weeping in prayer, I suggest deny yourself food. Deny yourself food. And I don't mean fast Pepsi because you like Coke. And I don't mean just fasting coffee. Do it till it hurts. I'm going to tell you something. You start drowning out the influence of your flesh, you will get a greater sensitivity to the Lord. Amen. Deny yourself. Go on a fast. Don't, don't make us have to call fast. You do it. Push the plate away. Deny yourself. Put your flesh back on the altar. A while back, some months ago, I went on, on a 10-day uh, a ten day fast, abstinent fast, just, just water or, 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 or juice uh, when it comes time for services. And I was teaching our class at the Bible college. And I was in the office and I was teaching. And I could not get through the lesson. Every other paragraph, I broke down weeping. Every other paragraph, I broke out crying and praying. And then I'd have to put my hand over the camera because I was crying so hard in the midst of all of that. I just began to weep and I began to pray. I couldn't get through the scriptures. I couldn't get through the lesson. I'm just teaching something simple like apologetics. And the Holy Ghost is just welling up on the inside of me. And I'm weeping and I'm praying and I'm crying and I'm challenging these pastors and future missionaries that they've got to fall in love with the word of God and they've got to fall in love with prayer. I couldn't hardly get into it before I just double over and weep and cry and call upon. I'm going to tell you something. You need to get yourself in a fast. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You need to try. You need to get yourself in a fast. I know what I'm saying is not popular. And I know what I, your flesh is already saying, well, I'll do one of them fast raw fast beans or I'll fast dairy products. No, you need to suck it up. And you need to go on a liquid fast. And you need to deny your flesh what it wants. And I'm you got to push past the caffeine withdrawals. you got to push past the headache from no sugar. you got to get in that second day and that third day and that fourth day when you feel too weak to stand up and call upon the, and I'll tell you what will happen. You'll get so close to God. You'll get so sensitive to his spirit. You won't have to ask God, help me to cry. All you got to do is lift your eyes and open your mouth and the spirit of God will move through you. Jesus told the church at Thyatira, Thessalonica, it was Laodicea. He looked at him and said, I got somewhat against you because you are increased with goods and in need of nothing. We are the most in need of nothing generation there's ever been on the face of the earth. The poorest among us eat better than kings that lived 100 years ago. It's hard for us to push back. It's hard for us to, I, 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 listen, I know. If I'm wanting to get everybody to like me and amen me and pat me on the back and say, good sermon, pastor, this is the wrong one. I get it because I'm talking about our flesh. We are never going to step into a dimension of intercessory prayer without raking our flesh over the coals of the altar. Amen. The thought of fasting is lost among us. Amen. The, 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 
the thought of, of us denying ourselves, the thought of getting off our phones, putting away entertainment for a few days. We feel persecuted. Let me ask you something. If you push back your plate for a few days, and you push back entertainment for a few days, and you gave yourself solely to reading the word and prayer and focusing on the things of God. And through that, one of your lost loved ones were saved. Would it have been worth it? Or was pizza more important than that? This is not a chastising. This is a challenge. Something's got to stir back up in the church of the living God. That's we got to get back to a place of commitment. We got to get back to that place of sacrifice and consecration. Amen. Thank God that we've got people that are blessed. Amen. We are in a blessed church. We are in a giving church. But I'm going to tell you something. Our giving will never, will never nullify our need to put ourselves on the altar with fasting and prayer. And listen, I understand some some work white work jobs that you, you that it's very hard and difficult to get out do it you need to pray and talk to God and ask him what he wants you to do but I'm telling you I, I, we've got to get to a place of prayer we have got to get to a place through fasting where we can call upon the Lord where we can weep between the porch and the altar where we can sow in tears and reap in glad the only way we are going to reap the harvest is if we reap it through tears if we get out into the harvest field and we begin to call out on the name of the Lord and we begin to weep for the lost and we begin to pray for the lost and we begin to ask God to save our families and save our cities. Let me ask you something. How much time have you spent complaining about how things are versus interceding about how things are? How much time have we spent pointing our finger at Washington and Sacramento and Wall Street about how bad things are versus being on our knee. I wonder what would happen in Vacaville and Solano County. I wonder what would happen in California if we said, I'm going to pray twice as much as I criticize. I'm going to weep twice as hard as I rail against it. I want God to move in this nation. Because there's a spoiler loose. There's a spoiler loose. He's come to corrupt you. He's come to ruin and decay your walk with God. He don't care how much you shout. I don't, hopefully I don't got to keep qualifying all this. Y'all know we believe in shouting and dancing. Brother Chase, we know that. We love, we're worshiping church. But I'm getting so sick of this shout until it happens stuff. There's a time for that. There's a place for that. So the next time I preach a message on victory and worship and I say shout for the victory, don't go, oh, he's going against himself. There is a time and a place for it. But it used to be we wept our way to victories and we interceded our place to our way to victories. Well, nobody wants to do that anymore because the spoiler's loose. Brother Lucas, if you'll come. The spoiler comes and he does everything he can to destroy the motivation of intercessory prayer. I don't have time to get into the rest of this. If you're interested in pages 9 through 14 in this message, listen to the podcast from last night. I finished it there. I don't feel like I can finish it tonight. But the spoiler will do everything he can to destroy your motivation to pray.
pray and intercede before the Lord. He'll use recreation. I said he'll use recreation. Let's think about that word for just a moment. There's a prefix in front of the main word. You know what those two words are? Re. I'm not against recreation. I think it's healthy. I think it's needful. But I think we need to strike a balance. Because recreation is recreation. Meaning we're trying to create again. We cannot let recreation get in the way of God's creation for our life. He's going to try to distract you from intercessory. He'll get you to hold a grudge so you won't tap into intercessory prayer. He'll get you to be offended so you won't tap into intercessory prayer. He wants you to criticize so you won't get into intercessory prayer. He wants to embitter you over life situations so you won't get into intercessory prayer. He wants to stop you from coming to church and being with the people of God so you won't get an intercessory prayer. He wants you to see all the imperfections of the other people in the church because it's hard to intercede when you got a finger pointed. And this is the way the spoiler works. This is the way the spoiler works. He's trying to pull you down so you can't be what God's calling you. I said this last night, I want to emphasize this. Our prayer closets are really mirrors of our spiritual condition. Our prayer closets are mirrors of our spiritual condition. Because effective prayer is hard work. I'm going to say it again, effective prayer is hard work. Self-exposure of your true spiritual condition doesn't come in a church service. It comes in a prayer meeting where it's you and God. Spiritual deformities are exposed to us in the places of prayer. The appetite for carnality is discovered in the chamber of prayer. No wonder the enemy sends in the spoiler to shut down your prayer life. I want to tell you, I thank God. And I know this message, I get it. Number one, it's a Wednesday night. This is the worst night of the week to preach something like this. But I thank God you're receptive. But I want to say, because I know this is, can be a heavy message. I want to say this. I thank God that this is a praying church. It really is. I can't vouch for how you pray when you leave here. But I thank God that on Thursday night, this is typically a full house. Or on, on most Tuesday nights, there's this crowd or even bigger on a Thursday night for prayer. And I thank God for that. Because that's where real revival comes from. It doesn't come from Sunday. It comes from Thursday. The power doesn't come from the pulpit. It comes from the prayer room. I preach this message strategically.
because tomorrow night when we join with our Woodland campus, we're going to have a time where we focus pray over the Awakened Conference. And we're going to, like we do every year, we're going to pray over um, each department. We're going to lay hands on them. We're going to pray for them. And I said this last night, so you already know it's coming. I am praying that the majority of that time in prayer tomorrow night will be spent Vacaville, lead the way in intercessory prayer tomorrow night. Set the tone for intercessory prayer tomorrow night. You say, Pastor, how can you be sure that there will be intercessory prayer? Because God wants it. God desires it. That somebody weep between the porch and the altar. And I'm going to tell you something. There are so many in our, vac in our Woodland campus that are hungry for a deep move of intercessory prayer. Some of them have never tapped into it before. Amen. But I'm telling you, I feel in the Holy Ghost. I know that we can get in there tomorrow night when intercessory prayer starts moving. I don't want you to hold back because it's not your comfortable and normal surroundings. Amen. I want you to lead the way in intercessory prayer. Listen to me. I know some of these veteran saints of God that have been serving the Lord a long time. Believe me, the Lord spoke to me. This. I had time to go through this. I'm gonna, I would speak to it but I don't have time amen some of you feel like you have lost value in the church amen because there isn't some of the things that we grew up with but I'm telling you you are more needed now than you were when you were 25 your tears are more needed now than your dance was 35 years ago we need some of you veterans some of you gray-haired warriors of the cross we need you to get up under the load of intercessory prayer tomorrow night and we need you to lead the way we need you to lift up your voice and weep between the porch and the altar there's a whole generation that don't know how to flow into the depths of intercessory prayer but there is enough people in this church that walk with God that have fellowship with the Lord I'm telling listen to me first church I don't care if we don't shout the rest of the year I don't care that if on a Sunday we don't run the aisles one more time for the rest of the year if all we did was wep our way into the new year I believe God would be pleased I found myself praying the prayer of late that Jeremiah prayed in the ninth chapter in the first verse of Jeremiah when he lifted up his voice and he prayed and he said oh that my head were waters and my eyes were fountains that I might weep for the lost of Israel. I'm praying right now God I pray that our head would be waters and our eyes would be fountains that we could weep for the lost in our family that we could weep for the lost in this community. God, you've not given up on California. You've not given up on the Bay Area. You've not given up on San Francisco. I speak it in the Holy Ghost right now. The nations wrote San Francisco off, but God hasn't. You've not written off Oakland. In the name of Jesus, I speak it right now. Revival in the Bay Area. God turning it around. Gang violence being turned around. In the name of Jesus, we're not losing this nation. We're not losing this state because somebody's going to weep like Jeremiah. Somebody's going to pray like the old prophets. Somebody's going to get on their face before the Lord like they did in the upper room. And somebody is going to defeat the spoiler before he comes in to spoil what God has designed and destined for our lives.
Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.